Welcome to Rage Worth Watching, where we're covering the films that rage against the machine. And today we're talking about the 1988 film They Live, from one of our favorite directors, John Carpenter. I'm your host, and I am definitely not an alien collaborator using this podcast to brainwash the masses into mindless consumerism. My co-host is Guy, who for some reason really hates wearing high-quality sunglasses. Hello, I'm Guy. I'm losing them. Hello, Ron. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we had this huge long fight about whether to do this episode or not. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit of context about this movie. First of all, as I mentioned, I mean, John, for both of us, right? John Carpenter is one of our favorite directors. The Thing is one of the best movies ever. It was actually done before this this film. In fact, Keith David, I can never remember if it's David Keith or Keith David. <laughs> Keith David is in this film. You know, he put him in this film because he had been in The Thing and, and Carpenter mm -hmm. was really impressed with him. And so he put him in this film. But, you know, the very first time I realized who Keith David was, was when you and I played multiplayer on Saints Row 4, I think it was. Uh. Right? And Keith David was the president, as I recall, in that game. I think he was the president's advisor or something like that. I think, was he Ben King? I, I can't remember which You might character. be demoting him. I don't know. I thought he was the president. But. I think your anyway. character is the actual president. Uh, okay, that could be the case. But anyway, he was a lot of fun. I remember that. And, you know, John Carpenter has had this bizarre career <laughs> that he's not really happy about because, you know, he started out with like Halloween, which was a huge, huge hit and which allowed him to make films like The Thing and, and like this. But after Halloween, his films were typically received really badly, especially by critics on release. And then years and years later, they would be considered huge classics. Like the thing is now considered one of the best films ever. Mm -hmm. And he's really bitter about this because he's like, well, it didn't do me any good. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I, I, great. My film became a classic, but it's not like I made any money or, you know, got anything out of that. So I feel for him. But also, I mean, if I had made the thing, I'd be like, well, I made the thing. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I just, I had to look up who he was in Saints Row because I started thinking that he might have been the voice of Julius, and he was. It was Julius. So uh, the, somebody else was something else. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was somewhere in the power structure, but okay. Yeah. Also, Carpenter usually did the soundtracks for his films, and, and, mm -hmm. and one of the things he does now, and this is, you know, near and dear to both our hearts as video game players. <laughs> he spends all his time either playing video games or touring with his band, playing his music from his films. <laughs> and he does these soundtracks that are very compelling, but they're very simple. And that's certainly mm -hmm. the case for this film. Well, they, uh, probably everybody knows the theme to Halloween. Yeah. And I think all of his soundtracks are kind of a version of that theme. Right. <laughs> and he actually did a lot of the soundtrack for the thing, but it was credited to Ennio Morricone, who is a famous composer. And basically Ennio Morricone did a soundtrack for it. And as I understand it, Carpenter basically redid it, you know, but, <laughs> but credited him. So, um, the fun bit of trivia here: the unused music from the thing was used many years later uh, when Quentin Tarantino made The Hateful Eight. Yeah, 
Which is a fun film. I don't think it's a great film, but it's a fun film. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I had to go back well, to like it. It's kind of weird that it, uh, you know, that it would work for that soundtrack. I'll also say, and this has to be near and dear to your heart, this is a short movie. It is 90 minutes. I mean, it has a lot of content, but 90 minutes. And my personal theory is that with only rare exceptions, all pieces of art, you know, plays, movies, etc., should be 90 minutes. <laughs> you should not yeah. go past 90 minutes unless you are Shakespeare or something. <laughs> yeah. And of course, in this movie, uh, half the 90 minutes is the fight scene. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> okay. Anything else before we jump into this film? Uh, I don't think so. I guess we can get into it. Well, here's one thing I will say right up front. I think both of us have different politics in John Carpenter and this film. And as we will see, it's a very sort of anti-capitalism, anti-consumerism film. And I'm all Mm -hmm. for capitalism. I'm all for consumerism. But one Mm -hmm. of the things I love, and this is true, you know, we'll be doing later, um, do the right thing. Which I also have some issues with some of the things that are kind of asserted in that movie. But what I love is a movie that has politics that I completely disagree with that is so well done and so fun that I don't care. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> I just, I really just enjoy watching it. And, and this absolutely qualifies as, as one of those films to yeah. kind of give away some of my review. <laughs> well, sure. Although I would argue that. This movie doesn't deal with capitalism so much as it does cronyism, uh, which yeah, is, yeah. to me, a uh, different yeah. thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm all for getting rid of cronyism. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, with that, uh, we will jump into the film. All right. Well, the movie starts off with uh, uh, the words, they live uh, in a sort of handwritten typeface and it turns out that's because it's actually superimposed on graffiti of the same shape that uh, that you know that they live fades but it's still there painted on the it's the solid wall pier of a bridge i I did a little bit of research for this Hmm. because i was wondering what do you call a bridge support that's also a wall (laughs) called a solid wall pier So we see Rowdy Roddy Piper, and I don't know if it's ever said in the movie, but his name in the credits is Nada. Um, And uh, I did an internet search, and a lot of people were referring to him as John Nada. So I'm just going to call him Nada. Uh, I got to say, and I know this is actually from the original short story that the film was based on. It's called something like 8 o'clock in the morning. And... I don't know. You know, these character names, and we've seen this in a lot of different films, these character names like Nada, which means nothing, or, you know, right. you know whatever. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> it's a little on the nose for me. <laughs> I would have rather that he was Henry or something, but, <laughs> you know. But it's not a big part of the film, so. Yeah, well, I don't think you ever even hear it said in the film. Yeah. No, we see him walking along train tracks right by that bridge. Uh, with a giant backpack on his back. Yeah, that backpack and it sticks around for a long time. And apparently he has all these tools in it so he can get jobs. It's like, uh, I'm not sure how you fit all this stuff in this backpack. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, he's, he's got the basics, I guess. <laughs> but uh, 
one thing that's worth noting is that, uh, you know, this is one of those movies where credits appear as the first few minutes are playing. And, um, the font that's used is called Albertus. Uh, this is apparently, I recognized it, uh, from the thing credits, but I, I looked it up and it, John Carpenter apparently uses it for a lot of his credits. And this is also a modified version of this font is the font that we talked about back, uh, a while back when we were watching the prisoner, that's, that sort of medieval looking font. Everything comes together. Yeah. Yeah. So Nada goes to a job placement agency and the woman there asks him a few questions and tells him she has nothing for him, even though he just walked by a great big board <laughs> of open jobs on the wall. So she must just have a bad feeling about him or something. Yeah, uh, maybe they were all for Python programmers or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but, uh, and you know, t- uh, visually he, he looks like, you know, he, he looks like just sort of an ordinary guy. I think he's got like a flannel shirt. You know, he does just have this disreputable vibe coming off him or anything like that. And, and I got to say, as an actor, I mean, here's a guy who's a wrestler, right? And mm-hmm. I mean, he's not, he's clearly, you know, he's not Robert De Niro, but mm. he pulls this off, right? He doesn't, I mean, yeah. you really do buy him as this character, yeah, I think he's very well suited to the to the role. You know, a lot of it he's not the kind who has to constantly be jumping in with stuff. You know, he stays quiet a lot of the time, even even at times when it would probably behoove him to yeah. say something. Uh, and and this is what I think is a little bit different for most people who are not actors. He does a lot of facial acting. Like you can see what he thinks by what's mm. on his face. And that, mm. t- you know, that's an unusual thing. That takes a lot of talent. Yeah. Yeah. He probably learned a lot of that from wrestling. There's uh, there's yeah. quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of acting involved in, uh, at least the pro wrestling. <laughs> no, now you're destroying my, <laughs> my illusion. <laughs> <laughs> so having been rejected at the job placement agency, he, uh, he just keeps walking. He strolls through a park and he sees a preacher. Preacher is speaking about people who have recruited the rich and powerful and blinded us to the truth. <laughs> he calls them our owners. He says, they have us, they control us. They are our masters. Wake up. And we see Obviously, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that crazy old man. So we see a cop car park right next to the park where this preacher is talking. Uh, they look like they might be up to something about to cause some trouble, but, uh, but nothing comes of it uh, for now. Anyway. Yeah. They just want to make sure he doesn't say too much truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after dark, we see Nada. he passes a man on the street, uh, the man standing on the sidewalk and staring into a shop window. He's just, uh, transfixed by a wall of TV sets there. And they're not really even showing anything interesting. They're just showing uh, a station identification for cable 54. Yeah. And this gets back to what Nick Gillespie complained about with network, right. Of, you know, Oh, the audience is sheep, et cetera. So you kind of have to decide mm-hmm. how much you're going to accept that. <laughs> yeah. But I know in my own case, I, I don't, I don't have, you know, antenna or cable or anything at home. So if I see TV, it's, I'm usually somewhere else like a bar or my folks house or something, but (laughs) if there's a television on, 
oftentimes I'll find myself just looking at it. I'll just be, you know, even if it's something that doesn't particularly yeah. interest me, it just draws well, my That's attention. a good point. It's one thing I don't like about bars or some restaurants is I don't like when I'm sitting there and there are five different TVs in my eyeline because I do just want to have a conversation with somebody. But you're right. I'll, I'll be watching whatever's on those TVs. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Nada finally finds a seat in a in a hobo camp or a little uh yeah, little group back in a an alley somewhere. And uh he sees through a nearby apartment window, he sees the television there, and it's in some insipid woman talking about her desire for fame and all that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're you're starting to get the message that television is going to be a a powerful force in this movie. See what I watch are reality cooking shows. <laughs> Maybe they fit into this, but they don't have to do too much with the power structure. <laughs> yeah, at least not as far as you know. Hmm. So that's just he he's sitting there, that's probably where he spends the night in that little alley there with the other guys. And then it's daytime. We see him talking to a construction foreman. And he, uh, he talks the guy into giving him a chance. So we see not a working then. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty fast moving, you know, it just goes from one thing to another. Uh, we see him working on the job site and, uh, we see Keith David, uh, whose name in this movie is Frank. Uh, <laughs> Keith glances at him briefly, but, uh, nothing more comes of it for now. Then we see a scene later in the day where the foreman's telling Nada that, uh, he can't sleep on the site. He's got to find his own place to stay. He tells him payday is Thursday. And then at the end of work, Frank comes up to Nada and, and he tries to be helpful. He recommends a place he knows with hot showers. He says he can show him the way. And this is one of those points I mentioned where, where he doesn't say something that uh, a lot of people would. Nada just sort of looks down at the ground and doesn't say anything. So Frank finally kind of sighs and moves off but when he does nada starts following him a few <laughs> paces behind and frank says i don't like nobody following me unless i know why nada replies well i don't join up with anyone till i see where he's going <laughs> hmm. so they arrive in a big vacant lot it's uh it's set up as kind of a shanty town there's some shacks some vans and so forth and uh, Frank introduces Gilbert. He's the man who's kind of running the show here. Gilbert notices that uh, Nada has some tools. And uh, Gilbert says that they could use those tools and Nada himself because one of the showers is caving in. Frank and Nada line up for the food line. And uh, Frank explains that he left his family in Detroit six months ago. And that's... Uh, that's not an unusual thing, uh, especially if you're some kind of uh, skilled worker. You know, my dad was an electrician, and there were a few periods where you know he worked in New York City for a few months, or you know worked in Battle Creek or wherever. Just just if there wasn't work around this neck of the woods, he'd go and do it. So, hey. but he always came back, so that's nice. <laughs> but uh, anyway, this sort of thing does happen. He left his family six months ago in Detroit. Uh, what happened there, he says, was the work at the steel mills dried up. They laid people off. But, of course, the executives at the steel mills gave themselves bonuses before the mills shut down entirely. 
So Frank and Nada walk and talk. Frank is cynical about uh, the whole system, but Nada just wants to do honest work for honest pay. He says he believes in America and he follows the rules. Yeah. After sundown, Nada plays harmonica. And uh, now a lot of these things may seem like abrupt transitions in there. I guess they kind of are. I mean, they work well enough for me in the movie, but, uh, but it really just sort of, you'll get a little bit of something and then, you know, all of a sudden the sunset or risen or whatever. So <laughs> it's moving along at a good clip. After sundown, Nada is playing the harmonica and he walks through the camp. A couple of the camp residents are watching more garbage TV, but then the TV screen gets fuzzy and staticky. And we see a bearded guy in a V-neck sweater appears and he starts saying that we're all being deceived. <laughs> One of the residents who's watching the show, he calls the guy on TV a hacker. He says, that's the second time tonight. The guy on the TV says that eight months ago, a small group of scientists accidentally discovered signals being sent. Then he disappears in a burst of static, but he keeps fading back in and fading back out. At one point, he says, their intention to rule rests with the annihilation of consciousness. <laughs> and uh, this isn't a new idea. Uh, this made me think of uh, Newspeak from 1984. I looked up a, a quote on it, uh, and it's, uh, the intention was to make speech as nearly as possible independent of consciousness. Uh, so John Carpenter's curbing from the best here. <laughs> yeah, it, but it's funny because I remember back to, if you remember, you know, the cable independent channels where they couldn't control what the content was or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, I remember in California anyway, you would have some guy who was going on and on about, you know, this kind of stuff, right? Uh, <laughs> it was independent cable, right? So, yeah. 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 <laughs> so you got to see some of it firsthand, and you never yeah. you never looked to yeah. see if they had any sunglasses to offer you. Exactly. I, I never figured out the reality of it. <laughs> <laughs> so Nada sees the old preacher that he saw earlier in the park, he sees him off at the edge of the camp. He's standing uh, right on the sidewalk of a street. It, it'll turn out later the preacher's church is right across the street from the camp. And this old preacher, he's mouthing the words of the guy on TV as the guy says them. One of the guys in the camp watching TV, he, he complains that he's getting a headache from the guy on TV, a literal headache. Uh, there's hmm. something, something weird going on there. Finally, one of the viewers gets up and changes the channel, and he says to the television, blowing out your ass. <laughs> uh, he wasn't impressed. Then uh, Nada sees Gilbert approach the preacher, who's been standing over there in the sidewalk, and, and he escorts him across the street to the small church there. Nada keeps watching from a distance. Gilbert and the preacher seem to argue briefly. Gilbert keeps looking around to see if anyone's watching them. Uh, but Nada is apparently far enough away that uh, he doesn't register in Gilbert's scan. Finally, Gilbert and the preacher just go into the church, and then we switch to daytime again, and Nada sees Gilbert come out of the church. So when Gilbert gets closer, Nada says to him, choir practice went a little late last night. 
Gilbert explains that the church lets him use the kitchen, even if it's 4 a.m., because they're taking care of a lot of people here in the, in the camp. Mm-hmm. And the hacker we see is back on the television. And this time he's saying they are dismantling the sleeping middle class, which <laughs> is utterly outlandish and implausible. No one would ever want to do that. <laughs> he goes on to say, we are their cattle. We are being bred for slavery. He says, the signal must be shut off at the source. So there are different people watching the television today, but they also mention that they're getting headaches. So this hacker is consistent about the headache causing. And Gilbert seems agitated by the broadcast. Um, He tries to sort of keep it under his hat, but uh, he turns and he, he jogs back to the church across the street. The sign for the church is African Methodist Episcopal Free Church. So it's uh, covering a lot of bases. Yeah, and this also makes me think of the series Firefly, which I'm a huge fan of. And Mm -hmm. they talk about the signal in that, right? And there's that whole idea of the signal. we got to stop the signal, et cetera. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It could be a little inspired by this, maybe. Mm. So uh, Nada goes across the street to check out the church. As he gets near, he hears Rock of Ages, a congregation singing Rock of Ages from inside. Mm. <laughs> he goes, uh, can, uh, let me, uh, do you, can you think of what this reminded me of from our previous, <laughs> well, let me say Doctor Who viewing? <laughs> oh, that monk in the, uh, in the uh, Norman invasion story. Right, right. The, the monk in Doctor Who was, was using a tape recorder to, <laughs> to play this. So basically the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, exact same gimmick. He hears the Rock of Ages. He goes in a side door, so he's not in the main sanctuary. He's in a he's in a back room, uh, and it's a cluttered back room with a whole bunch of chemical supplies in it. It really looks a lot like uh, what we imagine a meth lab would look <laughs> like. There's some very large graffiti on the wall, and it says simply, "They live, we sleep." <laughs> and, and I don't know, you know, I didn't look up if that is a reference to anything or older, but it's kind of interesting. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I didn't think to look that up either. It might be, it might be some famous quote. I don't know. Not a, he's looking around the room and he sees that the congregation who was who, the singing congregation is actually a real to real tape player. And it's got some output cords leading through a hole in the wall to speakers in the meeting house and our viewpoint changes. And we see that in the meeting house, there's no congregation, but there is a small group of people in there, including Gilbert and the preacher. Gilbert says their signals being jammed. And he says, we have to set the shipment out on the street. He also mentioned something about his group, this group manufacturing Hoffman lenses. And I didn't remember that that was the term they used in this movie. So I, I, I did a search on it. Most of the results are related to this movie in some way. Mm-hmm. But I also found an entry in from Urban Dictionary, and it was an interesting quote. It says, uh, to wear one's Hoffman lenses is to view the world through the lenses of psychedelic <laughs> drugs, such as LSD, Albert Hoffman being the scientist who discovered LSD. Okay. So. Uh, so I tried to see if this was a pre-existing term, like from before they live, 
Um, I looked in Google Ngram viewer because that can be useful for finding out when phrases arose and it has no results at all for Hoffman lenses, <laughs> but, uh, of course that is just the kind of information that Google would want to suppress. Especially so. if they're being run by aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that, uh, that urban dictionary entry, uh, provided kind of an interesting, uh, angle on, the, on it. But, uh, we haven't yet seen the Hoffman lenses, but we will soon enough. <laughs> so Nada, he backs up and stumbles and he's still by himself in this room. So no one out in the meeting house seems to react to the noise and he discovers a secret panel. He removes it and there's cardboard boxes stacked inside. He doesn't do anything with them now. He puts the panel back and he does it rather noisily. He, he looks alarmed for a moment, but then he smiles, uh, kind of a smug smile because uh, nobody seemed to react to it. Then he turns around and it's, it's one of those camera shots that's framed in a way that, you know, when he turns, there's going to be a guy right there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. It's the preacher and the preacher is reaching for him. It looks like he might be about to try and choke him, but, uh. It turns out he feels Nada's face and hands. The preacher, it turns out, is blind, which uh, I guess a more observant person might have figured that out earlier. <laughs> when, and I've seen this movie several times, probably at least four times in the past before this time, but it's been long enough ago that I had forgotten little details like the preacher being blind and so forth. So it was kind of like watching a movie that, was familiar or that I'd heard about, but I didn't, hadn't actually seen it. I mean, <laughs> not quite like that, but you know, <laughs> a lot of it was fresh to me again. The preacher says to Nada, you're a working man. He can tell that from his hands. Right. And, uh, Nada just makes some excuses and leaves, but the preacher tells him he'll be back. So Nada outside, he sees a helicopter circling the camp it does that a couple times and then it moves off into the distance so nada starts watching the church with binoculars uh he sees people loading boxes into an old station wagon frank comes up to him and nada tells him about the chemicals and the boxes and the tape recorder and uh frank doesn't want to hear it he says ain't none of my business ain't none of yours <laughs> nada points out that Gilbert is somehow involved, which might interest Frank, but Frank has a job now and he doesn't want to lose it. So he just, he does not want to be yeah, involved. He also has a family and stuff. I don't remember if he says oh, yeah. this now or later, but yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, at night, Nada is still watching the church and then he raises his binoculars up higher into the sky and there's a helicopter overhead. And in the side door, there's what seems to be a sniper. Mm -hmm. He lowers the binoculars and sees people come running out of the church. There are a few cars parked there and they bug out. And we hear cop sirens approaching. Gilbert and another guy, he, this guy is bearded. I thought he might be the hacker on the TV, but I think it's a different guy. It's not important. They help the preacher get out of the church and move through the camp. Some of the police cars that are arriving, they park in front of the church, they throw out some flares, 
and the cops move into the church. The camp residents gather to watch all this happening, but then more cop cars arrive, and they're followed by riot police on foot, uh, quite a few of them. And there's a bulldozer, and the bulldozer turns into the camp, starts knocking everything over, knocks over shacks, vans, everything there is to knock over. And behind the dozer, the riot cops are marching in a line of breasts into the camp, and they're just driving everyone for them. And Nada watches for a little bit, but finally he clears out when the, the cleaning of the camp proceeds. And he sees outside the camp, just outside the camp, the police have the preacher and the, uh, the bearded guy who was helping him out. Uh, we don't see Gilbert anywhere, but he, at least the police have these two people up against the wall and they're beating them with batons. Nada backs away. He passes by, but hiding very nearby, he finds a third refugee. And this, this is kind of a, uh, I don't know. To me, it didn't seem like a very significant part of the film. It, it just takes maybe two minutes, but he finds a refugee, helps him break into a nearby house to hide. Turns out there are some other people hiding in there. I'm pretty sure that's the last we see of this guy. The next day, Nada is wandering through the mostly empty camp. Uh, there's a few refugees who have returned to search the wreckage, you know, see if there was anything of theirs left behind. The church windows, they're black around the edges, like they've been burned out. But the back room doesn't look burned. It's intact, although most of the contents have been stripped from it, all the chemicals and so forth. But the secret panel is still there, and there's a box left inside. So Nada grabs it, and he sneaks away. In a back alley in the city, he opens it. This area is kind of like a residential district outside the downtown area. So I don't know how far he carried that box, but he got to a back alley in the city and opens it up, mm -hmm. and it's full of sunglasses, black frames, black lenses. He paws through the glasses because there's obviously got to be something good at the bottom of the box. But no, there is. There's just sunglasses, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So he ponders it for a moment. He hides the box in a trash can, uh, and then he walks away with a single pair of the glasses. Now he's walking down a busy sidewalk you know, in, the, in the city proper. He puts the glasses on, and then he stops because a nearby billboard it's got a white background with black text, uh, and all it says is obey. <laughs> he takes the glasses off, and it's a control data corporation ad. This is an old computer company. He looks at another billboard for Caribbean tourism, and with the glasses on, again, that's just white with black text. It says marry and reproduce. <laughs> He sees a hanging sign in, in front of a tailor's shop, presumably a fairly upscale tailor. With the glasses on, that sign says, no independent thought. And there's a closeout sale sign in the tailor's window, and that says, consume. Then we see a wide view shot in the whole street, looking down the street. It's the same way. All the billboards, all the street signs, they all have these little Pithy little messages, buy, sleep, conform, watch TV. <laughs> He's walking in a daze now, 
he's passing a big, long newsstand. It's, it's not just a little, uh, you know, eight foot wide deal. It's, it's like a rack of magazines, then a little interval, then another long rack of magazines. It's a big newsstand, but every magazine and every cigarette pack and everything there has these same black on white messages, uh, on them. (laughs) He picks up one of the magazines and starts leafing through it. And every page of the magazine is the same way. It's just a short word or a phrase on a white background. Then he looks up from the magazine and sees this ungodly looking creature. It's got, <laughs> it's, it's humanoid in shape, but it's got metallic bug eyes. It's got this mottled skin, not, not a very appealing creature to a normal human taste. Mm-hmm. And understandably, uh, not a stairs. And the creature says, what's your problem? Nada takes his glasses off, and the guy looks like regular businessman, mm-hmm. a fairly handsome, you know, actor-type guy. And this businessman asks again what his problem is, because Nada is still staring. Finally, Nada doesn't say anything. This is probably a place where it was a good idea not to say anything. <laughs> and uh, the guy uh, pays the news vendor and drives off. So then the vendor asks Nada if he's going to pay for that magazine he's been flipping through. Uh, we see that Nada has some bills in his hand. Um, looks like he's about to pay the vendor, but he looks at the bills and uh, the one on the top of the stack says, this is your God. <laughs> so Nada puts the magazine back on the rack and leaves. Uh, then he sees a rotating dish on top of a traffic light. It looks like one of those parabolic microphones. But this dish, we hear the sound coming from it. It says sleep over and over again. <laughs> Something very, I very. Can uh, I can go it? for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I could uh, use some sleep myself. But uh, this uh, this is kind of a, uh, kind of reminds me of the village in uh, the prisoner <laughs> rotating things saying sleep it uh, mm. would have fit right in there so apparently the glasses work for audio too because at least <laughs> we're hearing this. he looks through the windows of a hair salon and he sees more of these bug-eyed creatures intermingling with normal looking people there's another one of them outside out of the curb loading shopping bags into a car uh, with two normal women he goes into a nice neighborhood supermarket, and every package on the shelves has the same messages. So that was probably a lot of work for somebody. <laughs> but I think that was a uh, a practical effect. I don't think that was CGI. Yeah, but yeah 1988. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in this store, several of the people shopping in this store are, are bug-eyed. Uh, he looks up to a TV that's hanging from the ceiling and there's a bug man up there making a speech too. And it's a, it's a little play on Reagan's morning in America advertising. <laughs> he uses the phrase, uh, a bug woman bumps into him. He's, he's standing there trying to figure out what's going on. And she, she walks past him and bumps into him, and she says, excuse me, very, very insincerely. No, excuse <laughs> And uh, he says, you know, you look like you fell in the cheese dip back in 1957. 
<laughs> and there's a normal looking woman next to her and he says, you, you're okay. This one real fucking ugly. <laughs> he makes kind of a strategic mistake here because he reveals that he has special glasses. He talks about how this one lady looks normal without the glasses, but put them back on formaldehyde face. <laughs> the pastor calls them, that's enough. Get out. Did I say cashier? I meant, I meant cashier. <laughs> cashier. The cashier tells him, that's enough. Get out. Bug woman starts talking into her watch. She says, I've got one that can see. Mm -hmm. So Nada looks around and he notices that all the other bug men in the store are looking in his direction and they also are talking into their watches. And he says, I don't like this one bit. <laughs> and he leaves the store. Yeah, and, and going back to your Reagan comment on Morning in America, so Carpenter has said that this film was very much a reaction to Reagan. So you know, mm. um, we yeah. have, we do V for Vendetta, you know, that's a reaction to Margaret Thatcher. So a lot of these films are, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So outside the store, he sees there's a plate glass window a little ways down the street, and he sees another bug woman. She's primping herself in her reflection in the window. And uh, apparently he didn't learn that it's not a good idea to tip these people off that <laughs> he knows who they are. He insults her, too. And as soon as he does so, he's blindsided by a policeman trying to tackle him. Mm. And it turns out the cop is also one of the bug men. And uh, Nada says to him, Nick, yourself shaving this morning. <laughs> and the cop replies, you look as shitty to us as we do to you. Mm -hmm. So another cop arrives and the first cop tries to calm Nada down. He suggests they go someplace to talk it over, which uh, I suspect is probably a commonly used tactic. But uh, Nada, Nada doesn't, doesn't fall for it. He attacks, uh, he lays them both out very easily. Yeah. One punch or two for each of them is enough to knock them to the ground. And from the second guy, he takes a real nice looking revolver. At <laughs> least I'm not a, I'm not a gun connoisseur, but to me, it looked pretty good. While he's doing that, the first cop tries to sneak up on him and Nada shoots him and says, so you bastards died just like we do. Hmm. Now the other cop has got up and he smacks Nada with his baton, but, uh, Nada shoots him too. So with both of them dispatched, Nada goes to the police car and he takes a shotgun from it. So he's walking down the street with his shotgun and a new revolver, but another police car is approaching. So he ducks off the street and it turns out he ducked right into a bank lobby, <laughs> You don't really want to be brandishing a shotgun and a revolver in there. Mm. The people inside watch him literally. And this is where Roddy Roddy Piper delivers what's probably, at least uh, from my <laughs> limited pop cultural experience, probably the most quoted line from the movie. Uh, he says, I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. I'm all out of bubblegum. 
<laughs> and, you know, I had actually long wondered if that originated with this movie or not. And so I did mm-hmm. some Googling also, and it looks like it did. So, mm. you know, everything else aside, if you do a movie that creates a quote like that, which will probably survive forever, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, also because there are other dialogue points where you can tell that he was trying to do that and they don't yeah. really work. You know, oh, yeah. Well. So, yeah. Don't work as well. Yeah. 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 There, there are some funny lines in this, although there's, there's less humor. Like if I had tried to guess before rewatching it, I would have said, oh, there's a lot of funny lines in it, but there's not mm. that many. There's some, but, but it's not, it's not a comedy festival. It's just right. occasional stuff. So a bug man security guard tries to take a shot at him, but he misses. Before he can shoot again, Nada starts blasting every bug man in the whole bank. And it would be a, a pretty gory scene. It is a pretty gory scene. I mean, at least for one particular, I think it's a teller who gets shot behind a window. There's a lot of blood, but it's all black and white because of the glasses. Mm. Whenever he puts on the glasses, you always see mm. it in black and white. So it's at least a somewhat reduced gore. And he sees in a corner of the bank, there's a bug man who's calling in a report on his watch. Now that moves to shoot him. I think he says something like, Mama don't like tattletales or something like that. But, <laughs> uh, but the bug man twists his watch dial and immediately vanishes. Mm-hmm. The cops pull up outside. They did. They timed it wrong. They they didn't give their other guys a chance to get around the back because Nada goes out a back door and there's nobody out there. But there is a hovering drone there that extends mm-hmm. a little camera to him and examines him. So he shoots it, and then a, a human cop approaches. But since he's human, even with the glasses on. Nada hears him drop his gun and says, beat your feet, which the cop does. (laughs) So apparently he's not, uh, he's only killing the bug men. Good to know. Next we see the interior of a dark parking garage and a woman's walking towards her car. That turns out that Nada is lurking in there. He covers her mouth. He explains he needs a ride. They talk a little as he's driving or as she's driving. (laughs) Nada establishes that she lives alone. She's not married. And he well, has she a, lies about it, right? She says she's married, and he immediately tells her she's lying. So he, yeah, he obviously has yeah, some perception. He, yeah. <laughs> so he has her take him to her place. And uh, I'll let you pick up from there. So here we go, second half of the movie. One of the things I think that's interesting, so the woman he's met, is Holly, and he is immediately intuited that she's not married, and she's obviously very good-looking. So we know that by the end of the movie, these two are going to be together, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll see how that Good goes. <laughs> yeah. the, the actress, I mean, I, she's not really my type, but she's very striking because she's got this red hair and also these probably some of the palest blue eyes that I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, her eyes really stand out. I mean, you feel like she's an alien just from her eyes. I mean, she's she's not, you know, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. spoil that part. She's not an alien, but her <laughs> eyes are really 
Yeah, they really do stand out, and it is, it is really interesting. She's also a very eighties looking, you know, star. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, star, right? I, do I mean, love she doesn't have like puppy staff. hair, but yeah, she. It's not so, puffy, but it is ample. It's 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 definitely not uh, like a short cropped type thing. Yeah. So they pull into her driveway, and we have this weird little bit here that doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the film, but it looks like it does because there's a guy watering his plants next door to her, and he seems very interested in what's going on, and he's wearing and he's kind of a you know somewhat overweight guy who's wearing a Hawaiian style shirt that's open so you can see his ample gut, and then another <laughs> guy comes out. And it's, so this is 1988, so is this his boyfriend? That would be a little odd, you know? I mean, if it was a film today, you would immediately assume that. So maybe, so it may have been very progressive for 1988. Mm. I got the impression here that maybe he was supposed to be because he, the other guy comes up and sees, you know, the Holly down on, in the street. And he, he kind of, uh, he kind of does this dismissive sniff, which, uh, it, it seemed kind of, you know, not, not like maybe not a dead on stereotype, but it's in the ballpark, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So again, a little I'm, surprising for a film from that time and, and they don't make yeah. a big deal out of it. It's just there. You just have to mm -hmm. figure it out for yourself, you know? Well, I, I think the purpose of this little interlude, it's, I mean, it's like 10 or 15 seconds probably, but I think the purpose is you're wondering this Hawaiian guy, is he one of the bug men? You know, right. Is he going to report? But but it is kind of weird because, I mean, they spend, I mean, you say 15 or 30, it, they, it feels like they spend a good amount of time on him and he has nothing to do with any of the rest of the story. <laughs> like this just yeah. disappears. I think it's to provoke paranoia. I mean, that's something that yeah. John Carpenter can do on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Good point. Sonata and Holly go into her apartment, and to be clear, I mean, she is still, and she is very much acting like, I mean, she's being kidnapped, right? And and that's right. how she's acting. And he's exhausted, and he falls to the floor and slumps against her couch, and he talks about how he's coming off of the glasses effect. So apparently, you know, wearing the glasses for a long time just really kind of messes with your head. And he says, it's like a drug. These glasses make you high. You come down hard. And of course, she has no idea what he's talking about. She doesn't know <laughs> anything about the glasses. And he tells her he's sorry for what he had to do. And she says, and I really like this whole thing with her because he's like, oh, you know, he's trying to explain things. And she's like, no, you have two guns. You've kidnapped me. <laughs> she's, you know, she's not going for it at all. Uh, and she's not sympathizing with him. Mm -hmm. Although when she says you have two guns, you're in charge. You could wonder a little bit if she's maybe into this dynamic, but, <laughs> but yeah. we'll see in a moment. <laughs> and then he goes on to this, you know, wild conspiratorial speech about how the whole world is in trouble and you can only see with these special glasses. And she's like, oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I love this quote from her. She says, okay, you're fighting the forces of evil that none of us can see without sunglasses. And if you want me to look through your sunglasses, I'll look through your sunglasses. And I love this part. She says, but if I don't see what you see, I'm going to see it anyway. <laughs> so I'm like, look, you have yeah. guns. I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. <laughs> I'm going to say whatever you want me to say. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. That's a good little line. I, I had forgotten it, so that was one of the nice little surprises of coming back to it. Yeah, and then he seems to be falling asleep, and she slowly gets up, but then he opens his eyes. Uh, well, actually, he doesn't even open his eyes. His eyes are still closed, and he says, don't fuck with me. <laughs> and she says she's thirsty, so he says, go ahead, which I think is a big mistake. And she gets a, <laughs> here's the thing, like she's thirsty, right? You think she's going to go to get some water. She gets a bottle of wine <laughs> and she gets a glass, but just for herself. Now, I, if she got a glass for him to make him drunk, I can understand it, but she gets a glass <laughs> for herself. So maybe I understand yeah. this too, but I'm not going to admit to understanding this. So yeah, wine is not exactly a thirst quencher. Let's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if your mouth is dry, it can, you know, wet it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he wants to know what she does, and she tells him she's an assistant program director for Cable 54. <laughs> and he gets excited, and he starts telling her about how, you know, for TV, they're sending out some kind of signals out of TV stations. <laughs> and he gets all excited, and he's standing up, and he's near the window. <laughs> and again, I really... I think this is one of the best things in this movie. She takes her <laughs> wine bottle and she snatches him in the head and sends him flying out the window. <laughs> the physics don't really make any sense, right? I mean, he just goes flying out the window because <laughs> she smacked him. In the head. <laughs> yeah. But nonetheless, it's like she's, you know, I love the fact that she's not like, oh, you're here to save the world and I'm now going to listen to you. <laughs> she's like, I'm going to toss you out the window <laughs> yeah That's and then funny. she's immediately on the phone to someone saying she's all right i mean presumably 911 we don't really know but yeah and meanwhile having been sent through the window and smashed to the ground uh nada crawls away under a bridge and he hears sirens yeah, approaching yeah, we see him limping and yeah and he manages to get under a bridge and escape <laughs> and the next day he goes back to the construction site where Keith David slash Frank is, and, and uh, mm -hmm. it 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 well, yeah. I'll interrupt here. It, it may be worth mentioning that Nada knows what he's doing. He knows that he's a wanted man, so he doesn't just like walk stroll into the construction site. He's like lurking in a corner, hiding behind pallets of wood or something. You know, <laughs> right. And up. Frank is not happy to see him. <laughs> you know, he wants something to do with him. And he asks him, and you know, it's a good question. How many people did you kill? <laughs> Nada says, not people. <laughs> and Frank says, you crazy son of a bitch, you know, so. And then Nada wants to show him, you know, wants to show Frank something, but Frank is not interested. He has a wife and kids. He doesn't want anything to do with any of this. Yeah. And then we see Nada walking past a window filled with televisions. You know, it's that classic old movie trope where, you know, you have the window oh, store yeah. or yeah, the TV store 
And all the televisions are showing his picture, so he knows he's in trouble. And he goes into an alley, and he's looking. So he's trying to find the glasses. I'm, I missed something in here. I don't know. Like he lost them. Well, what he had done, he he had hidden the box in there, mm. like all the glasses he didn't use. He hid the box in there and covered it up with a little garbage. So that, okay. you know, if he decided there was something valuable in there, he could come back to it. Right. So he's come back to here and he can't find the glasses. Then he sees a garbage truck nearby that's compacting garbage. And he realizes it's probably compacting his glasses. <laughs> and he runs over to the truck and he opens the back and dives in and finds the glasses and then gets, you know, dumped out of the dump truck. Um, yeah. This was, this was kind of a, an interesting moment because I'm not, you could hear the driver talking, or, you know, the two, there's a driver and another guy, you know, up, up in the cab and you can hear them talking, but it's not clear exactly what they're saying, but it, it sounds like they hear him rummaging around back there and they're going to teach him a lesson. <laughs> yeah. So they dump out a, a, a big, big old pile of garbage right in the alley, which <laughs> probably isn't the, their job description, but, uh, right. And as he's walking away from the truck, Frank confronts him. I'm not sure how Frank knew where he was. Maybe he followed him all the time. Yeah, I was wondering that myself. It's a little uh, loose end, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, the reason he did this is that he has the week's pay for him, so he holds up some cash to give him. So that and, was, I mm-hmm. mean, that, that, that's a really stand-up guy of, you know, he, he, yeah. he may not want to hear anything about uh, the glasses or any of that stuff. But at <laughs> well, least, as uh, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Nada uses the glasses to verify that Frank is for real. You know, he's a real human. Right. And then he tells him to wait. And then he tells him he really, really wants him to put on these glasses. <laughs> and, and Frank really, really doesn't want to wear these glasses. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he's, this he's is, just mm-hmm. gone, he's gone out of his way to give a paycheck to a guy that he believes is a mass murderer. So that's, <laughs> yeah, he's in an odd emotional state right now. <laughs> and. This has got to be the film's most famous scene because they now have a five and a half minute fight. And when we say five and a half minutes, that might not sound long, but think about it feeling like three times that. I mean, this fight just goes on and on and on. And every time it seems like the fight is over and they're going to make up, they start punching each other again and the fight keeps going on because Frank really, really doesn't want to wear these sunglasses. I think the first time I saw this, I mean, I'm not a huge action guy to start with in general. I mean, sometimes I, I appreciate a good action sequence and all that, but like, you know, the like lightsaber fights in Star Wars, you know, you could mm. probably remove half of the length of any of those and, and I uh, would be none the wiser. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I think when the first time I saw this one, I was just waiting for it to be over because I wanted to know what happened next. But, but now that I, now that I know that it's like the long legendary fight, you know, I, this time I really kind of savored it. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at some point not in the middle, Nada says, I'm trying to save you and your family's life. And you know, Frank says, you couldn't even save your own. And then they fight each other a bunch more. And 
<laughs> and Otis says, I'm giving you a choice. Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. And then they fight for many more minutes. Anyway, eventually. Hmm? They're pretty vicious. I mean, they, they yeah. don't actually, you know, they don't pull out knives and start cutting each other up. At one point, Frank has a broken bottle, but he, uh, you know, when, when Nada throws his weapon away, then Frank puts down his yeah. broken bottle. And they actually rehearsed this fight for three weeks. <laughs> so, <you> know, <laughs> this was a big, big deal. Yeah. So finally, at the end, Nada gets the glasses on Frank, <laughs> and then Frank starts looking around and seeing what's really going on. You know, he sees the obey signs and all the rest of that, and the, the people with the weird alien faces. And then Nada says, now, hold on, you ain't the first son of a bitch to wake up out of their dream. <laughs> <laughs> And then nice. uh, Frank sees a flying saucer fly overhead. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's a line that I think Carpenter was trying to make it a classic lot line, and I don't really think it worked because Nada says, brother, life's a bitch, and she's back in the heat. <laughs> like, yeah, not quite as good as the bubblegum quote. <laughs> it just popped into my head. It kind of reminds me of a line from Mystery Men. Uh, I think it's the... I think it's the sho shoveler who says, but he says, uh, we've got a date with destiny and it looks like she's ordered the lobster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, that, it's that kind of line. I, I enjoy it, but it's probably not. Yeah. Only a select group of people go around quoting it. I would guess. Yeah. <laughs> So now the two of them go back to Nada's hotel, but they're now both wearing glasses. And Frank wants to know how long the aliens have been here and where they came from. And Nada says, well, they ain't from Cleveland, which is <laughs> amusing because, as you know, I just moved to Cleveland. <laughs> so I can confirm that. Okay. <laughs> And they argue about what to do, and Nada says, well, when you get some kind of master plan, let me know. <laughs> and Frank says they can't be the only ones who can see what's going on. They need to find the people who made these glasses. And eventually he also says, maybe they've always been with us. Maybe they love it, seeing us hate each other, watching us kill each other off, feeding on our own cold fucking hearts. And Nada says there's going to be hell to pay because I ain't daddy's little boy no more. <laughs> and I feel like yeah. that's a little, another one where they're kind of trying to make a thing that I don't think went. Yeah. Okay. Although, although it, it's, that is a reference to, he had just finished telling the story of how his dad yeah. got progressively crazier throughout his youth, you know, and more violent. Yeah. 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 It didn't do a lot but, for me. But, but yeah, yeah. The, the line isn't, yeah, it, it's not a hugely quotable. <laughs> so um frank then walks into their hotel with groceries you know he's been out shopping and he's wearing the glasses and the original guy that got them onto the glasses sees him and follows him and calls him out and then he joins the two of them and says there's a meeting tonight and he says the world needs a wake-up call we're going to phone it in <laughs> so they go to this meeting and a woman there who knows Frank says, you can take your sunglasses off. We're all human in here. And I'm like, yeah, okay. That's the first sign. <laughs> and then she gives him brand new tech, which is contacts that act like the sunglasses. So that's pretty cool. 
Yeah. Yeah. Now, see, that would be, I've, I've been fortunate enough, knock on wood, that I've never had to wear contacts. So being handed that, I'd, uh, I'd be a little stymied. That'd make some lessons. <laughs> so Frank and Nodder are then told that most cops are human, but some of them are being recruited by the aliens for wealth and power. And as a, the person making these beaches, all of a sudden we get promoted. We start buying new houses and cars. We'll do anything to be rich. So maybe a slight commentary there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Capitalism, yeah. <laughs> Which I'm all for. Everybody should try to get out. rich. Yeah. Exactly. Everybody should out. sell out. Everybody should get rich. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> And uh, then there's a conspiracy dude on the TV, you know, that guy who we saw earlier, the bearded yeah. guy, kind of the rogue TV broadcaster, and he's yeah, saying the, the atmosphere is gradually being changed to be their atmosphere, right? So, <laughs> so the Earth atmosphere is being changed to an alien atmosphere. And mm -hmm. I love this part for the anti-capitalist thing. He says, they're free enterprisers. The <laughs> Earth is just another developing planet. They're third world. <laughs> Well, the guy has a very dark view of free enterprise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I said earlier, you know, it's a, the problem I think is that these aliens are that they're, it's cronyism, you know, they're, yeah. they're getting people to work with them in their sinister plots instead of trying to, I mean, to me, something like free enterprise or capitalism, that's trying to offer value for money. That's the ideal. Right. Anyway, obviously it doesn't always play out that way, but. Well, related to that, and I, I've seen this recent, recently in some stuff I've read on Twitter and such is libertarians, you know, like me see the idea of partly. <laughs> yeah. See the idea of regulations very differently than people say on the left. So people on the left see regulations as love, as kindness, right? We have mm -hmm. these regulations that protect you. They keep your building from falling down. They make the world a better place. Yeah. And someone like me, I look at regulations and I see an evil because I see crony capitalism. I see existing businesses who write these regulations for the politicians so that their competitors cannot start a business. Yeah. They, can, right. they can't afford the, the huge amount of lawyers and so forth that it's requires. Right. So it's a really interesting difference is, is regulation love or is regulation an oppression? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So. But the funny thing here between all this love we're seeing and, and everything is that then they come across a table full of guns. <laughs> and one of the guys <laughs> says, we need, we need an assault unit, someone to hit them hard when the time comes. And Nada picks up a, you know, submachine gun and says, you've got it. <laughs> <laughs> then there's a dude with a fancy watch. And Frank says, what's that? And it turns out the aliens have these two-way watches. And if you have one of them, you can listen in to what they're saying. But there's some kind of secret code. And then they're able to push a button and all of a sudden, bang, they're gone. So, you know, we've seen that at least earlier where someone disappeared. Right. And then they're part of a meeting and there's a discussion of where the signal is coming from. And Holly, you know, not as sort of girlfriend. I mean, you know. <laughs> We assume that anyway. 
Yeah, she that, says, well, her... Yeah, her station is clear, so the signal is clearly coming from somewhere else. So then Nada and Holly talk, and she thought when she bashed the <laughs> wine bottle into his head and sent him out the window that she'd killed him. <laughs> and as they're talking, there's an explosion... And a wall is blown in, and cops are then shooting at everyone. So clearly, they've kind of blown this place. At the moment of the explosion, to me at least, it looked like they were just starting to get into that softer, reconciling, you know, boy meets girl type, uh, you know, they're going to end up <laughs> as love interests yeah. and so forth. Things keep interrupting. So a whole <laughs> lot of people die. But fortunately, our heroes escape. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> See, here's a weird thing that starts happening in the movie, is that even though our heroes aren't wearing the glasses now, they start seeing which attackers are aliens. So maybe that's a holdover uh, from wearing the glasses. Well, that's, yeah. uh, that's the contact lenses. Oh, you're right. Okay, I missed that. So, okay, they got the contact lenses in. Good point. Uh, then, you know... Frank and Nada get separated from Holly, and the watch that Frank is holding malfunctions. <laughs> because it malfunctions, it opens a temporary portal for them to escape. It's like, oh, something <laughs> went wrong. Here's a portal so you can escape. So they go through yeah, the portal. They, they actually hear a countdown. There's a voice saying, this is a temporary emergency portal, that sort of thing, you know, and it's counting down yeah. for death. And of course, uh, Nada waits until it's down to like two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> they end up in an alien hallway with signs in a strange language. <laughs> they're they're bilingual. So apparently this, yeah, apparently this hallway is somewhere where you can just kind of go along and jump through, you know, a portal and go to someplace on the planet. As they go along, they end up at a big dinner presentation <laughs> where the speaker, I believe, is human, but he's a collaborator. I think he was an alien because, you know, well, we'll, we'll hear the quote in just a moment. I see it in your notes here. Well, yeah. Uh, well, good question. I don't know. Could be. Could be a collaborator. Could be an alien. We'll, we'll let people watch and see. I don't recall seeing his face be kind of weird, but. That's true. Yeah. He talks about how in a few years, everything will be under the protection of this power alliance. And he says, the gains have been substantial, both for ourselves and for you. And that's where I think it does mean he's an alien, that's, even though I didn't see his face that, that way. Well, that's, that's what, how I interpreted it. But, but you make a good point. Since they're wearing the contact lenses, we should have seen him as an alien. Yeah. Yeah. Could be an inconsistency. Yeah. He says, both for ourselves and you, the human power elite. So, the, you know, as we've seen with Facebook and Twitter, uh, all along the aliens have been uh, empowering the elite. <laughs> and I hadn't realized this. And that, that phrase, the power elite, had stuck in my head since probably the first time I saw the movie. But I realized or found out recently that they're is a book called The Power Elite. I think it was written maybe in the 1950s. I, I haven't read it. I can't <laughs> say if it's good or not good or somewhere in between. But I think, I think probably this was taken from that book. Yeah, okay. But he does have some good news for everyone. <laughs> he says the underground terrorist network has been destroyed here on the West Coast. So. <laughs> <laughs> Most of it is. Nada and Frank now encounter 
And maybe you remember who this is, a bearded dude from the beginning that they were dealing you know, with. I think he was the guy who was in the camp and he turned off the TV and said, blow it out your ass. I think that was him, but I, I can't be a hundred percent sure yeah, because he no, looked just I don't think it's that him. guy, but, but he was, I think he was the one who helped like the blind preacher into the church or something. But anyway, this guy was here from hmm. the very beginning and it turns out he's a collaborator. He's now wearing a very nice suit and he's at this event and he assumes that Nada and Frank are collaborators too. <laughs> And yeah. then he takes them backstage and he shows them a teleportation station that's used by the aliens to travel between worlds. So that's very convenient. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty neat. You see, see a couple people with briefcases, they go and stand on this little circular pad and then they blink away and you see these little dots of light traveling kind of like in galaxy quest, how they just <laughs> literally leave a trail throughout the universe as you zoomed to your destination right and this guy says boys they got their act together believe you me <laughs> and then he brings them to the tv broadcasting studio that is broadcasting all the fake news you know fake alien news <laughs> <laughs> and they have armed guards there and not to ask that they can go inside the studio but one of the alien guards asked for authorization cards. And then Nada says, right here. And he and uh, Frank start shooting everybody. <laughs> so that's her, that's her authorization card. And then the trader tells them that the signal is up on the roof. And Nada says, Holly works from there. If she made it, maybe she can find it and we can break the signal. So everybody's coming together here. <laughs> And the trader guy, the guy with the beard, says, you don't get it. They run the whole show. They can do whatever they want. They're going to leave us alone. Let us make some money. <laughs> and then he uses his watch to disappear. Yeah. So he's not he's not thinking of the long-term picture, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, making money's good. Yeah. <laughs> and so Nada and Frank attack the studio, and they shoot everybody inside. <laughs> And then they go to another alien side. Yeah, yeah. And then they go to another office and ask how to get to the roof. And they go through the halls shooting soldiers. And eventually they find Holly. And Nada grabs her and takes her with them. And they head up the stairs to the roof. And she she looks surprised. She didn't look like she was in distress when they found her. Yeah, which just a moment from now will be relevant because <laughs> <laughs> Nada runs ahead and goes to the roof. And while he's doing that, Holly pulls out a gun and shoots Keith, David slash Frank in the head. <laughs> so, yeah, well, turns we out actually Holly's see that, but we hear the shot. Is yeah. The camera yeah. So it turns out maybe Holly isn't who we were thinking. Yeah. Well, I was kind of thinking an hour long, but probably, <laughs> probably just because I'd seen the movie. Yeah, well, that's just your problem with women. So Nada reaches the roof and he sees the satellite dish that is sending out the signal, you know, and he raises his pistol to shoot the disc. And then, but he calls behind him to see if Frank and Holly are clear because he doesn't want to hurt them. And Holly says, I'm clear. Are you? <laughs> and Nada turns around and she's pointing the pistol at him. And then two helicopters show up and Nada drops his weapon. But then he pulls a hidden gun from his sleeve and shoots Holly <laughs> and says, fuck it. 
he shoots the satellite dish and then he gets killed by the helicopter sniper. The dish explodes. Nada's lying there dying, watching the explosion, and he lifts a middle finger. <laughs> so this is uh this is this is to me one of the larger um I don't know if you'd have called a plot hole exactly, but uh uh, if the, if the satellite dish is that vulnerable that the first bullet he fires is going to make it start sparking and <laughs> you know, bursting into flames and so forth, um, it's, it's almost a miracle that, that just natural weather conditions haven't done something like that already. Well, and you would think these aliens who put all this effort and thought into it might've had more than one satellite dish. <laughs> you know, that, that too. <laughs> but, you know, we now see that the aliens are still broadcasting and they're trying to influence everyone, but people have kind of caught on to it. So they're sort of ignoring them. <laughs> and there's, there's this little bit that's extremely funny and self-referential because this alien film critic says, filmmakers like George Romero and John Carpenter have to show some restraint. <laughs> so we actually get our director referred to <laughs> by the yeah. alien film critic. <laughs> No, I interpreted this. I, I didn't. I didn't think that this was like down the road when people had become jaded to the alien presence. I got the impression this was immediately afterwards. Oh yeah. But they saw these aliens, and like, if you're sitting next to one in a bar, are you going to run away screaming, or are you just going to turn back to your drink and you know hope that it's a guy in a Halloween costume? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how I interpreted it. Right. Then we get the last shot of the film, which is a true 80s independent film because we have a topless woman for no reason on top of a man doing her thing. And then she looks down and sees that he's an alien and he looks up at her and say, hey, what's wrong, baby? <laughs> that's the end of the film. So, you know, we got our gratuitous topless woman. So that's a 1980s yeah. film for you. <laughs> Pretty good way to end a movie, though. I liked it. <laughs> So, um, so what do you think? Uh, I mean, we got, you know, the actors, I mean, Roddy, you know, the Roddy Piper, the wrestler, what did you think of him as an actor? Oh, I enjoyed him. I, uh, I, I, like I said earlier, he, he seemed to have, uh, uh, ample training from his wrestling experience that he can, he can pull off a role like that, especially a role that where he's not always talking i mean he he does talk when it's necessary and when he does talk he usually delivers it real well but uh but he's not a not a chatterbox exactly so. yeah that's a bit like schwarzenegger in his early films right to have him talk a whole lot yeah yeah keith david i thought he was fun oh um, yeah as we said, the woman, I mean, she did, I don't know if they put um, contacts on her or if that's just her natural eyes, but she did look really odd in terms of her eyes. Mm -hmm. um, but otherwise, I mean, she was sort of that typical sort of 80s star. Right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't yeah, know how I she's thought, done since then. Yeah, I, I I actually saw her name in the credits and it escapes me now, but I it wasn't one I recognized and I certainly I I, I think if those are her natural eyes, I would rec recognize her just on the strength of that alone because uh, they're <laughs> they're really striking in this film. But she does a good job in this film, so if she if she didn't move on to other things, then that's probably a pity. Yeah. 
And story-wise, you know, like I mentioned earlier, on the one hand, I mean, this is a very on-the-nose anti-capitalist film, but mm-hmm. even though I come from a different place from that, I just think it's a lot of fun. And Oh, yeah. You know, it doesn't bother me that, um, that, you know, the director had a different opinion <laughs> than me. You know, it's just yeah. uh, a fun shoot aliens film. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's definitely, um, it's, it's there, there's a lot. If you're, if you're a stickler for logic, you know, in tight plot construction and all that, there are a whole bunch of holes you could poke in it. Yeah, some of them we've discussed, some of them we probably just sort of slid right by. Uh but uh if if you just want a fun uh well, I I guess you could call it a bubblegum movie, so to speak. Uh it's uh it's it's like I said, I've seen it several times before and God willing I'll live long enough to see it at least a few more times. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh at the end for this kind of film, and you know, we, we've seen it multiple times so far in this season. Right. And as Nick said, Nick Gillespie said in network, and it's also true of a face in the crowd. Right. And this one, there's a kind of this idea of like, Oh, all the people consuming media are just sheep and they have no agency and they make none of their own no, no. choices. And I, I just don't agree with that. Right. I think that well, no. people do make their own choices and, you know, that it's too well, easy to kind of claim that people are just sort of pulling people along. Well, yeah. no, there's, I, I, I'd say it's a spectrum. I mean, there are some people who are just being drawn in. Then there are people in the middle who sometimes are drawn in and sometimes ask questions about it. I mean, but yeah, to, to dismiss all the viewership is, is sheeple as the saying goes, you know, I, I, uh, yeah, that's, I, I wouldn't, I I don't believe that. Well, once again, I think it's probably obvious, but, uh, what do you think? Is this worth watching for a modern audience? (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. I mean, uh, some of the situation, you know, like, uh, today, most of the plot would make no sense because they could track him just by his cell phone. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an entertaining movie. I enjoyed it probably as much this time as I have <laughs> the times I've seen it in the past. <laughs> so yeah, yep. I d- definitely think it is worth watching. Yeah. People should check it out. Okay. So, um, uh, you know, I'm not sure what we're watching next week, but come back and you'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you then. Very good. Come on! Come on! Security alert. Intruders appear headed for the roof. Repeat. Intruders... <laughs> Let's go! 
are you? Don't do it. Don't interfere, you can't win. give a press conference and how to buy a sailboat as prime news like I'm on it. What's wrong? All the sex and violence on the screen has gone too far for me. I'm fed up with it. Filmmakers like George Romero and John Carpenter have to show some restraint. They're simply... You're filled with lightning when you hit the road. You're feeling that D6 power as you take control. Hey, what's wrong, baby? I can't uh, think of anything. It did just occur to me that uh, it's a little ironic that as soon as we're done recording here, I'm going to be playing Destroy All Humans 2. It's like a remastered <laughs> version yeah, of just, an old I just game. saw Steam. Yeah, Steam just promoted that to me. So oh, you yeah. want to let me know but, if it's if it's worth playing. <laughs> but uh, you, you play as, uh, well, as an alien, of course. But you, uh, you one of the things you can do is disguise yourself as a, as a human and walk around and that you know has the, some of the stealth strategy there so uh it's very very thematic <laughs> i have been um so i've been doing two things one was god of war on the pc which is a really good game but it's it, and i'm playing it on hard and it's really hard so Mm. Um, but so you probably would not want to play it on hard, but I yeah, highly that, recommend it. It's really good. I mean, it's, I've heard it's a lot. Really of, now that's the, that's the 2018, uh, the, with the Norse, Norse gods and all that. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just, re, re, yeah, really good. Really well done. Um, but also I've been playing Spider-Man. So I, I finished it on the regular, uh, or like the, the hardest difficulty they'll let you. And now I'm doing new game plus and doing the ultra hardest difficulty and I'm going to, oh you know, work on hundred percenting it. Um, uh -huh. the weird, actually I'm what I'm disappointed about. So first of all, new game plus was not designed into it in the beginning when mm. they first put out the game, it wasn't there. Well, I was like, I know cause I finished it and you know, they didn't have it. So they added it yeah. on as an afterthought. 
And it really kind of shows because it's not really harder. All they do is in various encounters, they just add more people. Uh. But especially once you have, so, you know, when, what you get with new game plus is you get all of the skills and all of the things you've unlocked in the previous version. Mm, Well, a bunch of the things you unlock are crowd control things, right? Like the web bomb and, and, and other stuff. So it doesn't really matter if there's more people because you already have the (laughs) crowd control (laughs) things to deal with them. So it's not really harder. Um, it's not at all like Batman, um, Arkham city, where when you play it on harder, you know, then from the very beginning, people are going to have like, you know, grenade launchers and they're going to, you know, it's, it's, they thought it out from the beginning. And so it's much harder to play. And, you know, if you're like me and you're trying to play it on the hardest thing on new game plus, you want it to be really hard because you (laughs) want it to be an accomplishment to get through it. And it's Mm. not hard, you know, so, um, so that's a little disappointing, but anyway, I'm playing through it again, hundred percent on, on the new game plus. Um, what did you think? Did you finish it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't done the, uh, DLC with the white cap. Uh, don't even bother. The DLC is oh, yeah. just, yeah, it's not worth it. It's just, yeah. it. yeah, it's just totally uninteresting little sequences anyway. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, here's the weird thing. And, you know, you know, I mean, you know what I think about Batman and Batman, especially Arkham city. I mean, that's kind of the game that got me to really, you know, play harder games and everything um Mm. the weird thing is spider-man is almost a beat for beat remake (laughs) of batman arkham city all the same things happened all the same villains happened all the same even so like in in spider-man when you're you know martin lee and and he's like disappearing and you're going after him and and you have to fly through stuff and everything that's exactly the same as in Batman. <laughs> you know, they did that with Rashel Ghul. They literally did the same sequences, the same bosses, the same. The only difference is that, you know, the combat, which is based on the Batman combat, mm-hmm. but, you know, has more things going on because you have the web stuff and, and all that. But it's yeah. just really interesting the degree to which they just literally remade the game. <laughs> <laughs> and I I don't I've never seen anyone mention this. I should I should write about it, but it's literally exactly the same game. <laughs> okay, so let's see. You ready to go here? I think so. Okay, we're, yeah, five minutes. <laughs> <clears throat>